As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. We are here every match day of the World Cup podcasting after 10 o'clock UK time every night. In the studio with me, the Times columnist and leading thinker on the science of high performance, it's Matthew Syed. Matthew, hello. Hi, you sounded slightly ironic when you described me as a thinker on high performance. (laughs) The script was miswritten. (laughs) Not at all, not at all. We'll hear plenty from you later on. Uh, We're also going to be joined by Matt Dickinson in Kaliningrad and we're looking ahead to the much anticipated clash between England and Belgium on Thursday night. But first, Alison Rudd is in Kazan having witnessed history. The holders Germany are out of the World Cup. They have never been eliminated in the group stage of the World Cup before, but a 2-0 defeat to South Korea combined with Sweden's 3-0 victory over Mexico sees the Mexicans and the Swedes progress from Group F. Alison, how on earth can you explain this collapse from the world champions? Not just out, but bottom of the group as well. <laughs> yes, uh, it's staggering, isn't it? Well, I, I, in a way, it is explainable, I think. The German media who were alongside me felt it was the fault of arrogance because Germany had looked ponderous and slow and indeed all the things that they were guilty of during the tournament here in Russia. They looked like that in their friendlies before the tournament began. Though he did sort of accept that maybe, I'm, I'm pushing it a bit because he didn't say I got it wrong, but he, he did seem to accept that maybe he just assumed that once the tournament began, he, he used the phrase pressing the button, it, it, as though he thought, well, you know, once Germany get to something serious, I'm not going to take friendlies too seriously. Once, once Germany went, or where it matters, we will click. Things will just shift into gear. He used that phrase as well. They will just be able to automatically shift into gear. But they didn't. But the football here and in the build-up to getting here has been, a lot of it has been about pace and energy and intensity. Press and press and press. And to do that for 90 minutes. And teams have been doing that against Germany. And they've not adapted at all. They just played exactly the same in all three games. Nothing terrible about them. They're very competent, measured, intelligent, good passing, nice angles and so on. But they just look like startled when they've lost possession. They've given away possession too much and they've looked startled at the pace of counterattacks when they've done that. And the fact that that was evident before they got to Russia means the German media anyway are pretty annoyed with them. It certainly seemed like there was never really a plan B with Germany. But I just want to pick up on the point that you made about arrogance. Uh, The front page of the game 
pull out has the inside story of why Germany were dumped out of the World Cup. The chief sports reporter, Martin Ziegler, has the story. It's been suggested, as you've already said, that the arrogance of being world champions has overtaken Germany. Martin also cites the behaviour of some of Loeb's coaching staff on the touchline after that late winner against Sweden. There's talk of cliques in the dressing room, a Loeb falling out with the German Football Federation over a brand new training facility he wanted to be built in Sochi. So from top to bottom, Alison, they just don't appear to be unified as a team. No, and it's astonishing if you think about it. What's supposed to create unity? Success is supposed to create unity. And if you, I mean, they were on such a great trajectory. They sort of reinvented themselves after they were hosts and they decided they just needed to get them out together, look at the youth systems and so on. We're all familiar with the story of how they embraced humility and started from scratch and made sure they, they worked incredibly well as a unit, always working off the same page, always knowing what their tactical plan was, everyone buying into it. You can always get it right and then it can fall apart if you fail. <laughs> if, you, if you're the world champion and you qualify with a certain air of imperiousness, it's, it's staggering that, that it would fall apart. I would suggest that the flip side of that is success, a sense of entitlement. People forget to analyse what they're doing properly. Um, maybe the coach, the head coach, started acting a little bit too much like he owns the place rather than with a servant to German football. And people get angry when they're left out of the team and there are discussions. You can have too much talent. If you start having to leave out leave out key players like Leroy Sane, then you know controversy will get stirred up. It's very important if you're successful to always act as if you're not. Matthew, how big a factor can arrogance be to a failing of a team? Like, well, yes, it can definitely be very significant um, complacency if you think that you're guaranteed to win a competition just by turning up and having a particularly prestigious reputation, then that can be catastrophic. I mean, in this case, I have to admit, I'm, I am completely mystified. You know, if I was asked to express an opinion or write a column on this, I would really struggle because they won 10 games in qualification reigning World Cup winners. I mean, since uh, Love took over, they've had a pretty consistent track record of of success. And yes, they, they didn't look good. After they came back and won against Sweden, right at the death, I noted and sort of felt completely sympathetic to the idea that this is a winning mentality. This is a team that knows how to do it when the chips are down. This is their sort of psychological strength coming through in the way the narrative what seems to me okay one brief point is that because the world cup there's a very small sample size of matches you know you play the group and then you have a knockout you know and it's difficult to fully know how good a team is i mean okay they weren't great across three games to be fair um but I, I do wonder whether or not if they were to play a league against all the other teams in the World Cup, I, I, I still think they would finish pretty high. I think there is genuine quality in the team. I'm not, you know, I, I've just read Martin's piece in Tomorrow's Going. It's a fantastic deconstruction of what the German press think were happening behind the scenes. Um, but nevertheless, I think they would probably finish in the in the top twenty uh, percent of teams. I think there is real quality there, and this I am, you know. 
looking from the outside and genuinely mystified at, at what's happened. Well, what's also interesting, Matthew, is that four World Cup holders have been knocked out of the group stage in the last five tournaments mentally. Why is it so difficult to defend a World Cup, do you think? I think partly, oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, partly it's regression. You know, if you win a competition, then you would expect that team to do less well on average in the subsequent competition because to win a competition, you often have to play above yourselves to get to that place. And, you know, it's quite well analysed statistically, something called regression to the mean. Maybe there's something more going on. Maybe what Alison said is right, that teams that win the World Cup do feel a sense of entitlement. So that sort of drives it even deeper. Um but I, I, one of the things I absolutely love about this World Cup, the surprises, the shocks, the fact that there is some sense of chaotic unpredictability about what's going to happen. And I think football, perhaps more than any other sport, gives that that sense of unpredictability, that, that it, it galvanises the fans, it creates a level of ferment in debate, which is really quite wonderful. So even though Germany out, even though I'm mystified, I think this is a, a fantastic competition. Uh, Alice, I've got to ask you, what's next for Germany? I know um, Löw signed a new four-year deal not so long ago, but uh, will he remain as the Germany head coach? Predictably, he said it was just too soon to give an answer to that question. He said he's going to think about it. He did indicate he was going to think about it in a matter of hours, and we might know something by the morning. Um, that that might just be a turn of phrase, but um, he didn't talk about the weeks ahead. He did talk about the hours ahead and how much it hurt. I suppose it depends on whether over the next few days, it, whether that pain increases or whether people are there are enough people high up in the German FA who can't contemplate life without him and, and would rather focus on all the good he's done. The FA would have to decide is what we need now is a complete change of plan, complete just sweep the board clean, have a fresh approach yet again to, to German football. He was asked, "Is this? are we entering a dark era for German football? And he seemed quite perplexed by that question, actually. And he sort of repeated it back and looked puzzled as if it only just occurred to him. But this defeat, this momentous historic defeat, might be more than a blip, but it might mean there's something inherently wrong with German football. Be, being completely honest, Natalie and Alison, are you pleased they lost? Because <laughs> I've got to tell you, I was at an event before coming here and I mentioned that Germany were out and a roar of, of absolute ecstasy went up. And I've got, I feel slightly bereft. You know, they've been, that's the first time I've been out of this station since 1938. They feel like they That's should correct, be part of the yeah. furniture at this stuff. I mean, but so I feel uh, conflicted on it. I felt oh, I thought oh, I no, should I'm be absolutely you. thrilled, and I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I'm glad that we might not have to face them on a penalty shootout. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yes, exactly. uh, equally, you do like the idea of seeing Germany in the sort of knockout rounds. You always expect to see them. Yeah. It's just a standard World Cup to yeah. see Germany there. So it is a sort of mixed emotions. I have to it's I have weird. to say. I don't know what you think, Alison. Well, I tip them to win it, so I'm gutted because now I look an idiot. <laughs> and also, it wouldn't have been better if England had met them and knocked them out because they oh, yeah. evidently wouldn't have liked a young, a young Southgate team running at them, would they? But we have to give credit to South Korea, don't we? They, they took so much joy from that victory, even though they still went out of the competition as well. Well, they said, they admitted afterwards, they didn't know they were... It was all pointless. They they deliberately didn't know the score, the players. They thought winning might actually mean they'd got through, so they were deliriously happy. And then it turned to tears 
and they were told that, that, that Mexico hadn't won. So it was all over for them. So they went, they, I mean, imagine what that feels like. You go from the heights of thinking you've beaten the reigning champions. Their coach gave them a 1% chance of winning. I mean, I don't know what his team talks are like, so that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> That's brilliant, and isn't they, it? And they, they, they were <laughs> missing. They were missing. <laughs> so he said to them, you've got, basically, you're, you're screwed. Or maybe it was a motivational yes. <laughs> technique. Or maybe he didn't think, what, did he say that in a press conference? Yes, he did, but that's maybe culturally we missed the point. Maybe yeah. that's what you need yeah. to tell South Korean people to make them try hard. But they, I, honestly, they tried as hard as any team I've seen in any match. I don't even think Germany were prepared for just quite how up for it they were. And it wasn't one of those fluky games where the underdogs get a goal at the end on the break because the team that's playing the beautiful football um, is, is putting forward and they're just caught on a rare counter-attack. The best chances early on were made by South Korea. They they had chances throughout the game. They were very panicky in front of goal and their final ball and some of their shots were rather pathetic. But they were making the chances all the way through. It wasn't a, a hit and run job at all. It was it was it was deserved because they just did not stop. They harried and harried and every missed pass by Germany, they were there, they were on it and they were trying crying the whole time and I think it's really sad that they thought they might be in with a chance of going through to the last 16 and then only found out after the celebration that they weren't. That is pretty heartbreaking you might have to say it. As it is though Germany, South Korea they bow out and what a result it turned out for Sweden. Three second half goals against Mexico to not only go through but to go through as the winners of the group Alison. I mean you'd have got long odds on that happening before the start of this tournament. They're not the only ones, but they're definitely one of the teams I think that have been under the radar. But I think that maybe that will be the title of this World Cup come the end, the Under the Radar Cup or something, because teams are they're, they're showing they're showing lots of things that are unexpected. They're showing resilience. There are teams that are undone. I mean, you know, let's flip it. We've talked about Tony Cruz's late goal against Sweden and how elated they were, and, and Matthew thought that might be the the kickstart moment for Germany when you found the real Germany back. Can you imagine what that does when you're Sweden? Because you think you've got that in the bag and then you realise, oh, it could do all sorts of your confidence, couldn't it? Oh, we're not as good as we thought. Uh, and they were accused of poor game management. And then to come back and so dominate Mexico, you've got to say inherently what, what they've got going on. They must have an incredibly strong mentality. And I think we've seen that throughout the World Cup. The big teams just aren't expecting, not that they're expecting to roll over, but they're just not rolling over. There's no evidence of that at all. No matter what the scoreline or the disparity in FIFA ranking. I mean, it's really refreshing. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of all of Thursday's games on TalkSport. It starts in Group H with Japan taking on Poland at 3 o'clock on TalkSport, with Senegal versus Colombia at the same time on TalkSport 2. Then at 7 in Group G, the clash between England and Belgium is on TalkSport, while Tunisia face Panama on TalkSport 2. England's round of 16 fate will be known Thursday evening after they play Belgium. Matt Dickinson joins us now. And Matt, just to make things easier on yourself and Matthew, it's OK to call you Dicko for this, isn't it? Yes, yes, to <laughs> distinguish the two bold um, Matthews at the time. Yeah, you see, it's, it, this is not a visual thing, so obviously it's much easier to have a name reference. Uh, but of course, Dicko, you're in Kaliningrad, where the England manager Gareth Southgate has been speaking today. And he did confirm a bit of team news for Thursday, didn't he? Uh, well, a little bit, yes. He's been, um, even though it's a game that you know not a lot hangs on, and, and certainly Belgium are claiming that they, they, you know, winning is not even a, a priority for them. He confirmed Eric Dyer will um, start, which um, will be much to Eric Dyer's relief. I mean, I've written a bit about him for the paper about how you know um, in the, the friendlies we had in November and March, he, he looked like the sort of defensive linchpin. He was captain for three of those four games against some, some top opposition and. Um, it's, it's sort of interesting how he's sort of slightly faded out of the picture and, and he comes back in and will really hope to push his claim for the latter rounds. You know, we're led to believe um, otherwise that Raheem Sterling is probably going to get a rest and I think there'll be a sort of mix and match team. I think it'll be sort of some first teamers um, that, that'll be you know, useful to keep a, a shape and a, and, and, and a you know, general cohesion, and then there'll be others that he wants to give a run and, and allow to, to show that they're ready if needed. I just want to ask then, do we expect Harry Kane will retain his place in the side? We're all, I mean, it's, it's one of the sort of interesting things that, that Gareth has done um, is that he is, you know, this issue of, you know, ownership um, that um, Matthew as well will be very aware of, you know, that, that this is a sort of quite a buzz word among coaches about, you know, they're no longer the sort of autocrats. They they try and give players ownership. And one of the ways that Gareth has done that is by basically saying, look, I don't want the uh, the team to be leaking out. It's your team. It's sort of your secret. It's your sort of intellectual property. Um, don't go telling your mum, dad and your agents uh, and don't be letting them leak it to the press. So it's been, um, on the one hand, Gareth is a great communicator. On the other He's been very, very coy about it and kept the players coy. So we're sort of, you know, increasingly, we, you know, you, we're, we're sort of having to work harder and harder for our information. Um, uh, after all that waffle, I think Kane will um, probably given, given, be given a go. Um, but that's not confirmed at the moment. I, I, personally, I would play him. I'll give him an hour. Hope he scores a goal to keep his confidence sky high and then get him off and keep him fresh. Well, well, that's what I was going to ask you, Matthew. For momentum reasons, it's good to keep Harry Kane in the side, keep him scoring. Yeah, I, I can see that. And and 
unquestionably with strikers like Kane who thrive on scoring goals and has scored goals and wants to win the golden boot although he's a collegiate person I'm sure as in England captain that individual target will I'm confident will be at the forefront of his mind but the the difficulty is Dicker what on the draw situation England are probably better off finishing second in the group fair um, certainly the way it's shaping up, I, I absolutely think they probably are, but they're in this sort of weird position where obviously they are ahead. And I think, Bel- I mean, it was funny, Martinez has literally, you know, has said winning is not a priority, which is as near as a coach will dare go to basically saying, you know, sort of <laughs> announcing to the world and certainly to his players, look, you know, I- I'm not expecting you to bust the gut. Um, and I think England are in this position where Gareth feels a certain sort of obligation and I know you've written sort of that he, he, he shouldn't but that he feels a certain obligation just to say look you know I'm messaging these guys all the time about you know stretching themselves and, and playing to win and, and being the best they can be and that he feels uncomfortable with changing that messaging at this point and for, especially if he's sending out people like Eric Dyer to say look this is your chance go and seize it you know Danny Rose go out and go and seize it he feels to be consistent that he has to tell them to go for the win and you could say you know England are going to end up undermining themselves but I think he feels that is ultimately better for the bigger picture for the long-term development and for the tone that he feels he should set as a manager. I have to say I'm quite conflicted on it because I think if the draw is is better, then it kind of does make sense to desire well, a draw, to finish. A draw would be better if with, with bookings that got you to you'd have to yeah, you'd well. have to pick up a couple of sneaky bookings on the way. And, and to be fair to go, he did say, look, if you see me headbutt Roberto Martinez on the touchline, you'll know that um, you, that you'll, you'll know the strategy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a brilliant. If the manager gets sent off, I guess I guess we can count that. That would add to the mix. But yeah, if you if if um, I mean, we, you know we all know at least one manager who may or may not be close to Manchester United who 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 would for sure you yeah. know <laughs> consider consider that option. I don't know who you're referring to, um, but but Matthew, you say you're conflicted on this. You actually were involved in a sort of similar situation when playing table tennis for England, weren't you, at the European? Championships. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, so <laughs> we um, were playing in the semi-finals of the European Championships in Stuttgart, 1992. Actually, probably listeners don't want to hear an in-depth description we want to know what of happened. that particular competition. Big one, however, and the match that I'm talking about is on YouTube. Um, but we knew that we'd have an easier draw through if we lost. And one of the guys who went out to play the deciding match underperformed, basically. And it was very advantageous for us. And he did play very well in the final. Um, That's why, in a funny kind of a way, I kind of lean towards that idea. There's a great... But I understand what Dicko said completely, that mentally it may be difficult to... Certainly it's not fair to put people into a World Cup and say, look, we could do with losing this, lads. And I know what you mean, Dicko. You're saying Mourinho would say to his team, if he genuinely thought there was a bigger chance of winning the competition by coming second, he would say, you know what you have to do, go and get a couple of yellow cards. And I think you're probably right. Athers wrote a column on cricket today where he said that Steve Waugh deliberately had the Australian team do something disadvantageous in order to get to get a better draw. So it's, it is difficult. There is, by the way, can I just read this out? There's a tweet from David Papineau, who's a great philosopher and has written a good book on sport, who says, I've got it. England and Belgium must agree they're competing to lose, and then we can have a proper game with each attacking their own goals. 
Okay. Um, which, which um, I mean, this World Cup's had most things, and that would be just, yeah, pretty much ticking, ticking the last box. Um, but Dicko, Southgate has also admitted that, that he and the FA have been relentlessly studying Germany and the German model over the last couple of years. They might want to rip that up, mightn't they? Um, well, yes, learn, learn how not to get complacent and sloppy is, is the, the latest lesson of that. I mean, I think, uh, I, you know, there are obvious reasons why they have been um, studying yeah, the broader German model of, of player development and, and the specifics of how they won the World Cup. I mean, I know that the, the concentration on set pieces, I mean, that you could say that bit's not rocket science, but I think they looked at how Spain won their World Cup in 2010, how Germany won theirs, and for all that those teams have huge qualities and, and a lot of wonderful players. Um, yeah, the, the, also the, the number of set pieces is, is not insignificant and that's, you know, they, Gareth uh, Southgate and the, the, the people at uh, the staff at St. George's Park have put a lot of time and effort into that kind of research. Yeah. Uh, and Germany have been, you know, have, have led the way. I mean, it's, you know, we're not just talking in the last you know, four years, but the last 40 years, um, that amazing stat that this is the first time that we will have done better than Germany at a World Cup. I mean, obviously, beat them in 66, but that's, you know, this is the first time that we will have lasted longer since then, which is an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Um, and, you know, I, I think clearly there's a big inquest to come at Ger in Germany, and, and it will be fascinating if they to see if they do as they did in Euro 2000 when they were stunk the place out and England England actually did beat them there. If uh, if they do do what they did then, which is learn the lessons, and yeah, it's quite clear that they did get sloppy as as champions, and they came into this uh, tournament underprepared uh, and, and with a just without knowing what their best team was and how it was going to work. Dicko, before we let you go, can you predict what will happen in Kaliningrad, or is it just simply too impossible because there's so much riding on it? Gareth Southgate wants England to be hungry. He wants them to be on edge, you, you don't quite know what you're going to get from Belgium because you know, they've got this wonderful depth, uh, quality of player, and at the same time, you know, all the signals sort of on and off the record are that they are happy to come second, partly because they think it's an easier route, also because they get a game in uh, Moscow, which is near their base. Um, and so, yeah, I, to be honest, I think England won't lose just on those basic factors. Um, and I think England will will end up top of the group, whether they want to or not. The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We'll be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by Times statistician Bill Edgar. Last time out, we asked you, since 1982, more than half of the first half goals in World Cup finals have been scored by one player. Who is that player? Oh, this took some thinking and I'm sure some of you got it, but the answer was Zinedine Zidane. There have only been five first half goals scored in World Cup finals since 1982. Zidane has three of them. He scored twice in 1998 against Brazil and once against Italy in 2006. The other first half scorers in that period have been Argentina's Jose Luis Brown in 1986 and Italy's Marco Materazzi in 2006. 
Our teaser today is a timely one. Germany, or West Germany, have failed to get past a World Cup group stage for the first time ever. In which year did they last fail to get past the group stage at the European Championship? Tune into our next podcast to find out the answer. No surprises in Group E, where Brazil saw off Serbia 2-0 thanks to goals from Paulinho and Thiago Silva as they qualify top of Group E. The Serbs crash out. Switzerland are through as runners-up, despite only drawing with Costa Rica. So it will be Sweden versus Switzerland in the last 16 on Tuesday, and Brazil will take on Mexico on Monday afternoon. Oliver Kay was in the Spartak Stadium in Moscow watching Brazil's passage into the next round, and we caught up with him after the final whistle. It was a good day for Brazil going through and also with Germany going out, Oli. Yeah, well, they, they could they could have played um, Germany in the round of 16 had Germany uh, finished second in the group, as, as a lot of people were thinking might happen at the start In fact, as we all know, Germany crashed out and Brazil have won their group and Brazil get Mexico, which I don't think is the easiest uh, match they could have had. And, and to be honest, if you look at Germany at this tournament, you'd probably rather have had Germany at this tournament than Mexico at this tournament. But... Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I'd be delighted to have won the group and delighted to have um, got themselves into a position where they can um, you know, hopefully from the point of view, move on in the tournament. I think they've not hit top gear yet, but they've been um, after a sort of you know, poor first couple of games. I thought that, I thought they looked much more controlled tonight, much more like a, a team that could go on and, and challenge for it. It's always inevitably, I'm afraid, Ollie. <laughs> When we uh, think about Brazil, it's always the Neymar show. What did you make of him? I thought he was he was really good in the first half hour or so. I thought he was the only one that was um, that was really showing up for them at that point. And then and then Coutinho played that wonderful pass for um, for Paulinho for the um, for the opening goal. And and I think I think Coutinho probably shared top billing with him for, for the rest of the game. I don't think we've seen the best of Neymar yet. I think we've seen moments of real quality from him, which we always see, but he had that long injury layoff before the tournament, and I don't think he's quite firing on all cylinders, but, but but he will be looking at the rest of the tournament, and a game against Mexico, and potentially a game against England or Belgium or, or, or Colombia or whoever in, the, in, in, in a quarterfinal, and thinking, you know, this this could be my stage. He, he's working his way back up to match fitness, and um, yeah, looking good without looking at his absolute best. As it is then, Brazil qualify from the group stage for the 13th consecutive time at a World Cup, Oli. Um, from what you've seen of them, do they look like they could be winners of the World Cup? I mean, they're still the bookies' favour, I think. Yeah, I think um, they, they have to be contenders. I mean, I, I, you should probably ignore what I say because I took Germany before the tournament and look how well that went. But I, I, think, I think Brazil have got a, a good, very solid defence. I'll be concerned about the... Um, Injury to Marcelo tonight, but there's a point at which they were slightly losing their way in the game, slightly losing their grip in midfield, and um, and the coach was able to put on uh, Fernandinho, which is not a bad um, sub to be able to put on to stiffen the midfield. And I look at their centre backs, Thiago Silva and Miranda, very good, good full backs, good goalkeeper, not terribly convincing tonight, and and, and the playmaking, creative talent they've got is is as good as anybody. So I, I, I think I think they've got to be real contenders. Um, only one of their five wins has come outside of the American continent, if I can put it that way, um, in Sweden in 1958. But I think, I think they'll fancy their chances. They really will. 
By the time England kick off against Belgium in the evening on Thursday, both teams will know who they'll face in the last 16, depending on their final group position. Japan and Senegal currently lead the way in Group H, occupying those all-important top two spots. But Colombia are just a point behind, with Poland out. So England could face one of Japan, Senegal or Colombia in the last 16. And could England beat any of those to make it to the quarterfinals for the first time since 2006? We shall wait and see. Uh, Matthew, the group stages almost over. It's been a, a pretty sensational World Cup so far, hasn't it? It's been fantastic. And I've got to say, I really admire footballers. You know, we talk a lot about the coaches as if they're the omniscient puppet masters who pull the strings, but it's the players who really do it. And this is the biggest competition in the world, the biggest competition in sport. When you think of the number of nations where football is a national sport, and within those nations, everybody dreams of playing in the World Cup. The level of skill I think we see on display at this competition is sublime. We're seeing that with detonations of magic in almost every match. There's been a couple of disappointing ones as well. But we've got the upsets as well. And I think it tees up a knockout stage that will be fascinating. The fact that that Germany isn't there, I'm still conflicted about it. I'm not (laughs) sure if that's a positive or a negative. England are looking good. I think if they do get a good draw, it gives us a very good chance of getting through to a semi-final. Um, I am hugely looking forward to it. As we all are. Uh, That is it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Matthew Syed, Matt Dickinson, Alison Rudd and Oliver Kay. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. For a limited time only, it is just a pound a month for your first three months. Hurry, as that offer ends on Sunday. Search The Times sale for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. We'll be back on Thursday after the final whistle of England versus Belgium. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.